a bar on a cool winter's evening underneath the stars and we'll find some hello and welcome to the call room uh, i'm one of your hosts david griffiths and it's my very very excitable pleasure tonight to let you know that we're going to be joined by three of our friends from deeds brewing to celebrate their eighth birthday and the second anniversary of me being at the Royal Mail Hotel in West Melbourne. So it's a double party tonight and we've got some beers that are certainly worthy of a party. Um, for those who are joining us in the Zoom room or new and returning listeners on the podcast, a big thank you for being part of this special birthday edition and uh, a especially big thank you to everyone who bought the tasting packs that have gone out this week. And a big, big thank you to Leanne from Pinoak Beer and Wine, who made extra packs available, and to a team of people who've distributed those beers far and wide across Melbourne uh, this week. It was, as we deal with coronavirus, uh, coronavirus lockdown uh, situations, an immense logistical uh, effort. And we got there. So hopefully everyone tonight has a tasting pack in front of them. Or they found another great place to get the Deeds beers. Um, just a couple of little housekeeping things before we get properly underway. Um, we're basing tonight's episode around the three new releases that Deeds have put out for their birthday. Those are the Best Coast, the Pavlova and A Quiet Deed. And we're going to be going through those in order. They're three big beers, both in terms of volume and alcohol, and we're not expecting anyone or encouraging anyone to try and drink them in the time frame that we have. Uh, so feel free if you're in the Zoom room to make yourself a little tasting paddle and drink responsibly with us. Or if you're listening on the podcast, we'll make it very clear when we're moving from one beer to another. And that means you can just pause the podcast. You won't miss anything finish your drink at your leisure, and then move on to the next one. We'd much rather you savour these fantastic beers than, than rush them and not enjoy them. Um, a big thank you to everyone who's been discovering the podcast and who's been going back through the archives. Uh, tonight is a great example of a great reason to go through the archives because it's a year or so since Pat and Justin joined us for uh, our first Deeds episode and about six months since Kumar first joined us on the podcast for his episode. So uh, if you're wanting to learn more about the core range beers and some of the backstory of Deeds, we really encourage you to go back into some of those episodes before this one. Um, this one sort of presumes that you already have that knowledge so that we can talk about the very exciting new releases. And um, if you haven't gone back and checked the, uh, the archives, You'll have uh, missed out on some of the great episodes we've had while we've been dealing with lockdown. So we've had Tallboy and Moose, we've had Golden Hills, we've had Sierra Nevada, we've had uh, Ale Farm from Denmark. We've had this amazing lineup, and um, some of those tasting packs are still available as well. The way to make sure you don't miss out on tasting packs, and sadly, uh, tasting packs have been well oversubscribed this week. Um, the way to miss out, or the, main, the way not to miss out, is to make sure you're on our mailing list. So. Just email us at coolroompodcast at gmail.com and we'll make sure you get advance notice of packs. And uh, that's an opportunity for me to say in the next three weeks, we have three more great breweries lined up. Uh, next week, we have Burnley Brewing. The week after that, Watts River. And the week after that, we have Urbanaut joining us from New Zealand. So um, 
tasting packs for those will be coming up on our Shopify shop that many of you will know about. Um, I reckon that's about enough shilling from me to start off with, Travis. Travis, why don't you introduce our guests and we'll get underway on what is going to be an astoundingly good podcast episode tonight. Thank you, David. Uh, welcome, guys. This is a, uh, a pretty epic one for us. For, for those that are listening afterwards, we have our biggest attendance in the Zoom room that I think we've ever had, uh, which is quite amazing. Um, welcome to uh, Justin, Ned and Kumar. The weather in Melbourne, it is pouring with rain at the moment, but uh, we will attempt to get through this as best we can. Um, can you tell that because of your ceiling windows? I was, you, beat, you beat me to the punch, but yeah, I did look up at the ceiling windows and uh, it does sound pretty heavy out there. So hopefully it doesn't come through on the microphone. Uh, Kuma, why don't we start with you, mate? Give us a bit of an introduction on your role at Deeds and uh, then tell us what your favourite beer is that you guys make. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, hi everyone. Uh, I'm Kuma. Uh, I'm the the sales guy for Deeds. I've uh, been working for Deeds now for uh, almost three years now. Um, back when they were uh, Red Island Brewing and Quiet Deeds uh, was when I started off. Uh, when I applied, I was applying for Red Island, um, and uh, to be honest, I applied just because I was looking for something independent and beer related. Uh, and then I was looking into it, I was like, oh, Red Island does quiet deeds. That's great news. Uh, because uh, still to this day, Lamington Ale remains one of my very, very favourite beers. So I'm eternally grateful to the brewers for doing up some pretty schmicko double Lamingtons uh, last year and this year for me as well. So, um, but yes, that's sort of, uh, that's, that's me. Perfect. Uh, Justin, who is the head brewer, give us a bit of an intro, mate, and uh, yet again, which is your favourite beer? Uh, yeah, I'm Justin. I'm uh, the, the head brewer at Deeds Brewing Company. Um, I came on just almost two years ago now uh, when we started building the brewery. Um, I brewed at Hawkers before that. And uh, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, we're just having a lot of fun at the moment and um, yeah, I'm originally from uh, West Virginia in the States, and I've been in Australia since 2015. So it's kind of the short of it. I'd say at the moment, uh, for my favorite beer at the moment, uh, it's probably Neck and Neck, Survivor Type, and Frey. I would say those are the two kind of jostling for the main position in my heart mm. at the moment. Nice. Good choices. Love it. And, uh, and finally, we have Ned, who's one of the other brewers in the room tonight. Um, give us a bit of a rundown, Ned, how long you been with Deeds, mate? And, uh, what's your favorite beer? Um, yeah, so I've been with Deeds, I guess, coming on two years, um, came across from, from Hawkers, uh, with, uh, another of our colleagues, Paul, who's our, he's not here tonight, but he's our packaging expert. Um, and we worked with Justin at Hawkers, so JC brought us across and, um, yeah, we sort of built the brewery all together, I guess, from the ground up. Uh, and quite literally. Yeah, quite <laughs> literally. Yeah. It was, there was no roof and doors on the building when we started making open roof fermenting. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, interesting times anyway. Um, so yeah, I've been, been in the industry for several years now, set boat rocker before Hawkers. Um, and yeah, my 
favorite beer uh i i have to choose three because we've done so many i'm sorry if this doesn't count right, that's but, fine go for it <laughs> um uh i would say grisette uh chit out of luck and the second horseman yeah nice so we've gone uh kumar you had one favorite justin you had two and then we've Obviously, finished off with three. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's great. Yeah. Um, we're going to start tonight by talking about the the Best Coast Volume Two. So, everyone in the Zoom room, I'm guessing you've already done it, but if you haven't, crack it open, um, pour it into a glass. It is a cracking beer. Um, guys, I'm happy for whoever to talk next when I ask this question. Um, feel free to talk over yourselves, but uh, why don't one of you give us a quick breakdown on what we uh, should be coming across with flavors on this one i'll definitely leave it to the brewers to take you through the flavors of the beer because i will be cracking them for the first time with you guys this evening one of the fun parts about working from home perfect awesome yeah look this one is uh this is a very different kind of direction from our typical uh approach to ipas um this is a bit more of an ode to the the old school um uh, you know, a lot more bitterness in this one. I think we're targeting like 50, 60 IBUs, which is almost yeah. unheard of in our brew house. Um, uh, yeah. And the first version, we we definitely went with still very kind of fruit forward hops, but this one we've, um, we haven't really changed the recipe in a lot of ways. We just sort of a few tweaks here and there, but um, we've really gone proper old school with some of the hops so you'll be getting a lot of um pine and resin um plenty of sort of floral floral notes um i get a bit of like grapefruit pith on the palate um but there's there's definitely still a bit of a little bit of fruit in there i mean mosaic um is you know it's not it's not quite um as as like classic pine and grapefruit as you might get out of something like Centennial and Chinook. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, and that's kind of a quick rundown. Justin, there's, there's five hops in this. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can yeah. you you know, give us a bit more of a breakdown on what each one of those, you know, brings to the party in this beer? All right. Well, when you look at the, the five hops that are in there, um, warriors are house bittering hop. So you see that pop up a lot at the, the start of boil. Uh, and then in the, in the kettle, we use Chinook and Centennial. And Chinook definitely gives you those kind of resinous, almost spicy kind of back vibes that help kind of highlight what we were going for. And recently, you know, we did a beer called Phase Shift. And we kind of, as a brewing team, fell in love with the Centennial hop again and realized we had not been paying it good service as of late. So we decided we, to incorporate that as a bit of an old school. We used to use it so much in so many of the old Hawker's recipes that I think we were like, we'd forgotten how good it can be, even in a more kind of new school IPA. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and then after that, there's Mosaic, which is a, you know, a nice classic to give it, you know, um, you know, just to really give it a kind of bursting kind of gumdrop flavor vibe. And then Simcoe Cryo, because we've been playing with a lot of Simcoe Cryo, really happy with the crop from this year. And, um, you know, we've been, we've been using it quite a, you know, quite a bit in some different things in different ways. And we just thought it would really kind of 
give a, a, a different flavor because you get a different flavor from cryo in that. And Simcoe is kind of an old school hop as well. So it kind of gives you that, that, that vibe as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, Ned, uh, out of all those hops, which one is your favorite to use? And um, how do you sort of convince the powers to be that you, you want to go ahead and put five different hops into a beer? Um, okay. So the first, uh, out of those, I'd probably say Centennial just because of how well it performed in phase shift as Justin, Justin said, um, and we will absolutely continue to explore that hop going forward. Um, uh, how do we, the amount, look, we could put like, you could put a dozen different hops in a beer. Um, is it going to taste great? Maybe not. Um, but it's more convincing them about the overall amount of uh, hops that you're going to put in there. And um, we're very lucky to say that it's not very hard at all to convince them to do that. And sometimes, um, sometimes the, you have to try and convince them that there doesn't have to be that many. Um, <laughs> the, power, the powers that be being Pat and Dave, the owners. Um, and just a quick story, uh, fiscal damage, I don't know if you're aware, um, that, that is to this date our highest dry hop beer. Um, that was a question we we're going to ask later on. So yeah, you some just to it. Perfect. There you go. So yeah, that was fifth. That was fifty grams a liter. Um, fifty grams a liter. Yeah. Uh, oh, hello, Warren. Oh, oh, hang on. Sorry. Is, Hi. Sorry to interrupt you there, Ned. It is six fifty-three p.m. and Warren Wu has made it into the room. Welcome. Hold on. No, hold on. no we've we clocked it in at at six forty-five. Anyway. Do keep telling your story. <laughs> okay. Anyway, back to Ned. So, so last year we'd really been pushing the limits on, on uh, or finding new limits on beers, um, and just seeing how far we should we could push it. And when we were doing the batch calculator and figuring out, you know, the the cost per liter of finished beer, and just seeing numbers that we never would have dreamed of seeing, like we just made some mathematical error. Um, but each time we just kept breaking the new records and then we're like, all right, we had this idea. We're going to make this beer, triple IPA. We'll call it fiscal damage. We'll have a gold can, gold lid. It'll be right around Christmas time when no one's got any money anyway. And it'll just be, <laughs> it'll just be hilarious because, you know, it's fun. Um, and that's, that's that time of the year, right? You're just blowing cash. So I made the recipe and then we ran down with Dave and, and looked at it and he just said like, Nah, it's it's too cheap. You got to make what? How many grams a liter? Thirty. Nah, 50, how much? What did we do the last one? Forty. Nah, go fifty. Come on, mate. And I was just like, oh my god, <laughs> what are we doing? So yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> nice, Justin. The last time that you were on the podcast, uh, you spoke with David about uh, Sierra Nevada and Stone um, and beers like that. Uh, what beers inspired this one that we're drinking tonight? Best Coast. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, there was a lot, Sorry, I didn't lot mean of... To um, on the spot. Yeah, yeah, no, I saw the brief before. I should have prepared for this. I had no time. It's <laughs> all right. Um, I'll be honest. Uh, I used to work at another brewery, and we made an amazing West Coast IPA there. 
it was really nice and really lovely. And we used to drink it all the time and it was happy days. And when we came over, there wasn't really ever a slot for brewing anything like that. And we collectively said that though we love our big hazy fruit bombs and these massive, you know, dry hop beers, we also wanted something just uh, a little bit more bitter, a little bit more resinous, a little bit more old school that kind of took us back. So, you know, the motto at Deeds has always been, um, you know, we make beer we want to drink. And we collectively decided that we wanted to drink something, uh, something, you know, just a little bit different. And that was, that was pretty much it right there. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, we have a question from one of our guys in the zoom room. Um, the question is, do you find when you go higher on the dry hops, um, you know, 50 grams to a liter that you hit a point where you get diminishing returns from that dry hop? Is there a sweet spot to it? Is there a... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah, there is. And it's not 50 grams a litre. No. Um, that's, <laughs> no. That's, yeah, it's, that's, that's probably, to be honest, that's the ceiling for us. I mean, maybe one day we'll go higher, but... Um, we talked to a lot of other breweries, a lot of other breweries that that's in their medium range, right? Yeah, like really? other breweries that do these kind of styles, you know, from the UK oh, or the US. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like what what we, I guess, just to re, like go uh, further to what you're saying is, like our sweet spot now would be anywhere between twenty, well, maybe fifteen to thirty grams a liter, depending yeah. on the beer. I agree. Which is still a hell of a lot of uh, hops to be throwing in a fermenter. Um, but yeah, you know, that is considered a medium, uh, rate for some breweries. So that's why, you know, we, we had to push the boundaries to see what, what you do get at a higher rate, because, you know, unless you try, how do you know? Yeah. We never did it before. No. And never worked anywhere that did it before. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of a, kind of a nice little realm of experimentation just to see, you know, what kind of flavors you can extract from something like that. So yeah. yeah, it's real fun when uh, we always know when there's a big beer coming up because we'll get this like um, uh, it's like a murder scene, but the murder victims are boxes of hops and they're just <laughs> lying empty all over the floor. Um, and it's starting, yeah, starting to get to uh, ridiculous levels. So Jacob Jackson in the room asked the question. This is one of the great things. If you're in the Zoom room with us, rather than listening on the podcast on a Thursday night, you can type in your question. So Jacob's asked the question about, you know, how do you go about sourcing such a wide variety of hops? In the last few weeks, we've spoken to brewers about the difficulty of tracking down one or two hops. In the beers we're having tonight, there's such a wide range. How do you make sure you track them down and make sure they're all quality when you're dealing with such a broad array? Uh, I mean, there's, look, there's, there's only a set amount of suppliers at the moment in Australia, you know, so most of the hops are traveling through them. And, um, you know, it's important to maintain a good relationship with them and to, to, you know, effectively book what you want early, (laughs) ensuring that you get it. Um, because, you know, it can get a bit tight from time to time, you know, hops are in, um, though there's a million varieties in a lot of ways, they're very much like a commodity, especially to big brewers. And, you know, you have to, you can buy advance and you can hedge and you basically just have to forecast to the best of your ability to make sure that you get what you want. And there's always new varieties popping up and there's a lot of varieties, you know, you're going to use and 
for us, it was a, it was, we really didn't know what direction we were going to go in the beginning as a young brewery. We're coming up with new recipes and we didn't know what we were going to do. We reworked the core range. And so we kind of had to do a shotgun scatter approach just to have access to all kinds of different hops mm. to ensure that we had the tools to, to paint the pictures that we wanted to in terms of the beers. Yeah. And you say young, you say young brewery, but I guess, you know, that's from our, from our um, experience with, with deeds. Um, you yeah, know, correct. obviously we're, we're celebrating the eighth birthday, um, yeah. this year, uh, this month. So, um, and with these three beers, but yeah, young brewery, I guess in a lot of ways we feel like, um, it's, it's been, I mean, it's, it's clear we've gone in a different direction and we're trying a lot of new things, which, which the quiet deeds brand wasn't really known for earlier. Um, but yeah, Justin had a lot of contacts from, from, you know, previous brewery experiences to who to call and who to know to call to get whatever hops. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. It was, yeah. I, I forget, I guess I meant from, in terms of like from a production standpoint, producing beers in house. Yeah. Not doing the, not the, not the hard road of contract brewing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kumar, we have a, um, one of our listeners, Matthew, we, we put a, uh, a call out to listeners on the Facebook page for this podcast where we asked them to submit their questions and if they had anything on their mind that they wanted to ask, they got in sort of before we arrived in the Zoom room tonight. Um, the question is, uh, how do you balance having a solid core range of beers, um, which underpins the brewery's viability with an exciting core? I'm not sure David wrote that question down right, but we'll, we'll go with it. Um, does it, I'm assuming you with an exciting it, range of Given you're the sales guy, give us a bit of an idea on, you know, how does that make your job sort of, sort of fun and challenging when there's so much out there that you're, you've got on, on your core range? Yeah. So, I mean, um, as, as all breweries know, generally the limited releases are not the hard sells. Uh, normally that's the stuff that bottle shops and bars are eating up, especially at the moment. Um, a big part of that I think is the untapped, uh, like they're almost treated like Pokemon. You gotta, gotta drink Ooh, them all. You're speaking my language. Yeah. Um, gotta drink them all. So, uh, yeah, the, the limited releases sell very quickly and then it's trying to figure out the right balance of obviously the core range is what keeps a brewery running, what keeps the lights on, um, they're the things that are brewed in obviously much larger batches, um, things that, uh, yeah, basically make a brewery a brewery. Um, so, but then also if we're having a core range, but we're going to be pumping out all these insane limited releases, the core range still needs to reflect the character of the limited releases that we're bringing out. It wouldn't make sense for, you know, our pale ale, for example, to just be a bland ass Australian pale when we're releasing 50 gram per litre dry hop triple IPAs. So um, it took a lot of research and a lot of work. And uh, I've said it before, um, but I, I love the image of the brewers giving, been giving, been giving the decision very early on to spend the day either chipping mortar off of bricks or to be tinkering away at the double time recipe. Um, and so uh, a lot of time and effort has gone into the core range beers to make sure that they're a fucking spectacular and B, uh, they're just, 
they're priced at the right point where they're still going to sell even if you don't necessarily recognize the brand name. Um, but yeah, then also it's, it's a fun balance at the moment of, especially while I'm working from home, of touching base with new bottle shops, trying to convince them to pick up the beers, uh, especially in areas that perhaps aren't as known for their craft. Um, and then with the view to potentially someday getting them into the limited release program, you know, getting them to pick up something that's perhaps a little bit safer and a little bit uh, not 23 to 20 $28 a can, uh, you know, maybe it might be one of our hazy pails, like seasonal hazy pails, like the daydreaming in summer or winter or whatever, uh, with a view to expanding it that way. Uh, it's certainly, it, it just gives it, uh, it makes my job a hell of a lot more fun because for those people who always need something new um, and who the first question that uh, some bottle shop will ask you is what have you got? Like what new products have you got? And for me, literally every fortnight, I've got two to three new beers for them. Um, and then also uh, for people who just need, you know, who want to move pale ale by the slab or who want to sell Deeds Draft at, you know, 55 bucks a slab and, and have people buy it, you know, a pallet a week of it, uh, we've got stuff to look after them as well. So I'm very, very, very blessed to be working for the brewery that, that I work for uh, because we've pretty much got something for, for everyone. Um, we've got a, an absolute cracker of a NEPA. Our halftime, which is our midi, is just, uh, to be honest, I haven't been selling it super hard this winter. Like, I haven't been talking to people that hard about it just because, A, it was almost completely out of stock there for a little bit. Uh, but then, B, it's winter. And I was like, oh, people probably won't be drinking midis that much. I had a can just recently. It's just so delicious. Uh, and so I realized I was doing my customers and uh, by association their customers you guys are drinkers a massive disservice by not absolutely smashing it because it's such a delicious beer and i think i, that's... Um, I started my night on that and it, you're right it is it is very smashable and yeah absolutely delicious yeah yeah far more delicious than a 3.5 percent has any right to be so um yeah i just uh the the very very long-winded answer to the question uh, the short-winded answer is that I'm super lucky to be working with the beers that I work with. Um, it makes our lives as a sales team extremely easy. Mate, we like long-winded answers on this podcast. It's, hey, uh... Travis, <laughs> I might throw a question. Since we're talking about styles and sales and we've got Kumai here, I might throw a question that Shane had put to us uh, early in the week um, about uh, how COVID's affected that. So uh, when, when you, you guys are producing a lot of, like in terms of your your special releases, they get sold up and the, they just disappear. It's, it's it's a good position to be in Kuma. That is it. Is it what has has COVID changed that in any way? And what what you're planning on releasing or how you're planning on releasing? And I suppose this is probably for the brewers as well. Um, are, are people asking for for double and triple hopped IPAs? Uh, what is that? Yeah, how's the 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 COVID situation changed what you guys are releasing? So I think um, certainly my initial, my initial reaction, I can't remember which one was the first really big, it might've been the Reaper of Survivor type. I, yeah, I think that was the first really big beer that we'd done since lockdown had properly started. Um, and I think all of us were, it's obviously a fantastic beer. And I imagine that right now, uh, probably more than ever, people really, uh, people are kind of looking for ways to treat themselves to, to sort of keep 
keep that feeling like, yeah, things are, things are normal. You know, I get to, you know, ah, I had a good week. I'll look after myself. I'll get myself one of these things. Um, but then also obviously with everything going on, we were, certainly I personally was a bit nervous that maybe we might find that for the first time, uh, one of our limiteds might not completely pre-sell out and people might not be as excited because it, it's obviously a, a big beer and a shit ton of ingredients have gone into it. Um, and, uh, but we announced it and it was a pretty similar volume of beer to the rest of the beers and it sold out faster than any of us could have imagined. Uh, so we were like, oh, okay, all right. Uh, I think during this time there's enough people who are still doing okay enough and potentially saving a lot of money in other areas being locked down that they're like, yeah, you know what? I can go to the bottle shop and I can, I can treat myself this week. Um, so certainly from our, from our point of view, as far as the limited releases go, uh, there, there was a bit of uh, perhaps apprehension initially, uh, but I'd say the market response to the beers that we've been putting out have indicated that uh, people are still buying good beer and it seems like people are even more so of the mindset of supporting independent and local. Uh, and so, you know, giving them a way to do that uh, and also grabbing some delicious drinks uh, is, has been working pretty well. Um, I reckon we might be ready to move on to... Yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, well... You take control, we'll give people a little moment or two just to clean their glasses and get ready to go or pause if you're on the podcast version. Uh, if you haven't already shared on social media that uh, you're enjoying the night here with us, uh, please do so and Pavlova is the next one we've got up. So. Mm -hmm. Um, all right, so everyone should have the Pavlova in their glass and uh, I don't think anyone needs to clean out their glass because this could pretty much go over the top of every. It's a big old, there's a lot of stuff going on in this beer. Um, of course, it's, your, it's the birthday beer, it's a birthday cake. Um, can you talk us through what, what was the ideas? What was the inspiration? What did you want to do with this? Prior to brewing... Uh... Pavlova. Uh, we had created something called Intergalactic Love Child. I don't know. It's a sour, hazy dipper that we had done. And um, Pavlova, in a lot of ways, was a way to experiment and take the sour, hazy kind of IPA range to, uh, to awesome. a different level. Um, so, Nick, so the, yeah. the, you were the brains behind the hummingbird cake uh, the, the first birthday. Was this your? Was this one of your ideas as well, Ned? It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed the hummingbird uh, a lot. I was, um, I'd been thinking about that idea for a long time. Um, heavily inspired by my my wife's amazing ability to make my favourite cake, which is the hummingbird. Um, but this one, this one was more hadn't sort of been in bouncing around my head for as long. Um, but the, I, I guess the, um, the idea of doing something along these lines had been in there for a while um, about looking at bringing acidity into um, a hazy double IPA um, based on, you know, a dessert like, like the hummingbird was. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely keen to, to hear what 
you know, any feedback that you guys might have in a, in a chat or whatever. Be as honest as you like. (laughs) Thick skin, thick skin. Does that soundness, does that, does a bit of that that soundness also come from, um, from uh, the passion fruit? Is that a thing that that's going on there? Um, A hundred percent. Yeah. It was so, so intense. The passion fruit. Yeah. Yeah. The passion. I mean, when you think about passion fruits, they're, they're obviously very acidic, but when, when you add any, um, any fruit to a beer and you do what every good brewer should do, which is re-ferment the fruit, um, then you, you take all of the sugar out of the fruit, right? And, and the parts of that fruit that you have left over is, um, you know, the character often changes. So you might have the aroma, but like, for example, mango, when you think of a mango, you think it's so sweet and juicy, right? But all of that, the simple sugars in that fruit get eaten up by the yeast. So it doesn't end up being so sweet, but um, there are a lot of other sort of acids like citric acid is really common in fruit. Um, Malic acid is another one. So sometimes it can, um, it can drop the the pH or, or, or raise the acidity if you like. Um, yeah, which we found when we used the raspberries last year in the double lemington. Um, we probably went a little bit too hard on it and it, it gave like a slight perception of tartness. Um, Our first pastry sour. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, unintentional. <laughs> um, yeah. We've, we've had a good go at... We've had a good go at the conversation about hops. Let's let's talk about malt with this one. So, pale uh, wheat malts, oats, um, rolled oats, dextrose. Uh, where? How do you approach? Is that what comes to mind when you think, "Oh, I'm going to make a pavlova." So these are the malts that I'm going to need to throw at it. These are the. This is what's. Is, and is it the same as the hummingbird, for that matter? Uh, the, the, so what we'd refer to the, um, that is the grist of the beer. Mm. Um, and yeah, so you've got the malt, the hop bill and, and the grist bill or, or the grist. Um, the, I can't remember what the hummingbird was off the top of my head, but it probably was a bit more, um, I doubt that it had oat malt because that's something that we've been playing with a lot more in recent times and in just off the top of my head uh hummingbird was one of the earlier beers um, yeah it's rolled oats and rolled wheat that that's it yeah yeah, yeah. well wheat wheat as well wheat. wheat as well yeah okay yeah so um yeah i mean i guess a lot of these these um like wheat malt is is very common in our beers, um, uh, and then oat malt and rolled oats. Um, oats obviously give that um, a really kind of like can give a bit of a slickness. Uh, uh, they increase the sort of the viscosity of the mouthfeel, can bring that up a bit. That's um, you know put in oat cream IPA or even the New England, um, but we oat malts just become something that we've. relied heavily on we absolutely adore um for multiple reasons yeah multiple reasons it it can really assist in um the production of of a higher abv beer when when you know you really push just how much um 
malt you can put into something where, you know, a German brewer would be absolutely shaking their head in disbelief because you're trying to create the biggest sort of silky, rich, um, velvety mouthfeel and something which is going to have a haze. Um, it makes it really difficult to process in the brew house. Um, and oat malt's great because it has the husk still intact. So that husk can actually aid in filtration of the beer when you, when you collect the wort from the louder tun across to the kettle. Um, so yeah, we've, we use a hell of a lot of that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Kuma, I'm going to throw this question at you. Uh, the, so in terms of, of, um, we well to start with, we love a good old question about, um, about labeling and branding. Um, the, the kind of geometric shapes and all the, the, that, that particular style on the deeds cans i mean it's become pretty pretty synonymous with deeds is is there give us the the rundown i suppose on the design who designs it who's who kind of drives that that kind of look and feel um yeah so obviously uh one of the most important uh, and heavily determining factors on a beer's success is what it looks like sitting on the shelf in a bottle shop um, if a beer sort of bland is uh, the packaging is kind of bland or unrecognizable, uh, it'll just blend into the no- uh, the other noise sitting on the shelf. Uh, so when we were uh, certainly when Pat and Dave were looking at redesigning what Quiet Deeds was and, and what it meant, um, they looked a lot. Uh, I spent a lot of time looking around trying to find a uh, a company that would do the brand justice. Um, they ended up stumbling across this company called United Creative in the UK, um, who uh, for the past now, since the, I think the first one that came out in the new packaging was the vanilla porter or maybe the pale in the bottles. Um, but basically the idea was that uh, there were these old ships that used this real geometric pattern uh, to confuse um, like a, a radar or scanner um, to make them undetectable. Uh, so, uh, and the, the principle behind it was that it was a very loud design to keep the ship very quiet. Um, so, which, which we liked because we like the idea of obviously it's a quiet deed, but we want the beers to really uh, punch you in the face essentially. Um, and so, yeah, we, we once we started going with it, like when any brand change happens, people lose their freaking minds. Uh, but then gradually over time, they readjust to the brand change uh, and then start being like, yeah, actually, this is really cool. And so we always had the idea of all of our beers sitting next to each other and there being a really distinctive element. Um, and, you know, you look at any of our beers and just based on the design principles, you're like, oh, yeah, that's a Deeds Brewing beer. Um, and I think we've really hit that now where, um, you know, you can, you can, you'll see the logo and it just doesn't have to have any words on it. It doesn't have to have any print on it. I think if you, at this point for most people, if they see, um, the design on the top and the, the bottom, the dazzle pattern, we call it, um, then they know that it's a, it's a deeds beer. Uh, and it does a really, really good job, especially when they're sitting next to each other on the shelf of really jumping out at you. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's 
basically all a big marketing exercise just to make sure that what, when it's sitting on the shelf, uh, people who are A, looking for Deeds beers can find them very quickly because it's always a problem. Uh, and B, uh, that even if you're not necessarily looking for Deeds beers, you look at it and you're like, damn, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, our our, our um, designers, just sorry to, to bump. Yeah, no, go, go. Yeah, go yeah. Our designers are absolutely fantastic. Like Insane. Yeah. The rate at which they turn shit around, the... Mm. the um, the accuracy that they nail the design briefs with the uh, the way that they encapsulate the um, you know uh, the brewers will put together like a rough idea of what the beer is about and then the team all together will put together like a, maybe a couple of concepts to try and capture in the uh, in the patterns and like nine times out of ten they'll uh, they'll nail it or what happens every so often is that they just give you something else and you're like, wow, we did not think of this at all, but this is absolutely spectacular. So mm. yeah. Uh, some, yeah. some, some designs are a bit harder for them to kind of nail what we're um, thinking. And, and maybe that comes back to us trying to like put into words um, what we're kind of visualizing and what we've discussed as well. Um, but other ones like the Doppelbock, for example, they, I can't even remember. I don't know if you do, Justin, giving them a brief for that, but they came. No, no brief. No, no brief. brief. There you go. <laughs> they, ca- they came back. Uh, well, came back. We didn't go to them much at all, apparently. But, the um, yeah, the, the thing they came up with was fantastic. And it was like, um, it's quite, when you look at yeast through a microscope, um, and a lager is very much like, you know, yeast is a very championed um, ingredient in that, in the, in the Doppelbock. Um, yeah. You, you, it, that's kind of the inspiration that I believe they must have used for that dazzle pattern, which, you know, that's just cool. I, they, I think they did a great job on that one. Um, I was just going to say, just back to Kumar's story, trust a couple of engineers to enjoy the idea of their pattern being based on a radar, like a pattern that deflects radar waves. Um, Yeah. I just saw in the chat someone who knows more about things than I do that apparently is before radar. But the point is that it has something to do with scrambling, uh, making it harder to perceive essentially. Um, Yeah. Harder to, to, to make out the actual shape of, of, of what the, you're yeah, at. The, of the particular, but yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I, know, yeah, I, to, I knew where you were yeah. coming from. And I, I think, I think that's the funny thing <laughs> is that it's very easy to forget that Pat and Dave start, like they, they met when they're studying engineering at uni. Uh, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's funny you mentioned that and, one. Cause yeah, it's very easy to forget that these two guys that are um, spearheading this, this brewery that we're all part of is just, uh, they're just two mates that, uh, yeah, met, met, yeah, quit their jobs decide to, and and the idea that that they were importing beer in their twenties is just it's just great. Like that's just awesome. And, and and one of the beers that I like, they were probably not much older. Although they they wouldn't be much younger than I was when I started smashing kill messes. Like when I first had one, I'm sure I was about their age and just thinking, shit, whoever's bringing this in must be making a fortune because it's delicious and just <laughs> inhaling a million of those fuckers. Um, uh, <laughs> logging it out the back of their cards, paying the back of their cards, paying for it on their credit cards. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 
So they've come a long way. Yeah, long way. <laughs> just a little bit. Um, uh, hey, can I ask a question on behalf of Tom and Madeline who are in the room? And my apologies if I should know you. Perhaps you've logged in under a different account. But it's a really good question at the moment because we have so many different sized formats of beers in terms of 350, 375, 440, 500, 750ml bottles of beers. Um, how do you decide what is the right size for a for a beer? And particularly as you move into some of these beers with higher alcohol content, how do you make those decisions? Uh, so, I mean, certainly from a uh, from my standpoint, as opposed to the, the uh, beer or quality or the journey or, or anything that's been mentioned about that so far, but just just purely from a marketing perspective. Um, we'd always envisioned the 440 mils for the limited releases just because it really stands out. Um, and it, like when you're looking across the, the beers in the bottle shop, um, for us, when it's something special, and this is also inspired by what the US and the UK were doing, the, the really special beers, they're all in the, the larger format cans. Um, I mean, also, it's an added bonus that with the, uh, that Pokemon culture that I mentioned before that, you know, got to oh, have yes. them all, but a lot of the time people only grab one can of it. It's also a nice way to ensure that when someone grabs only one can of it, they grab a slightly larger can and, and crack it with a mate, perhaps. Um, and then uh, as far as the smaller format beers, just a little interesting aside, um, the, uh, our core beers, which were originally in 330s, uh, we we were having a look because everyone who tried the double time loved it to bits. All the feedback that we got was so positive, um, but it just wasn't really doing what we had thought it, it would or should be doing. Uh, so we've recently moved it to 375 mil cans and now we cannot brew enough of it. Um, so I think uh, even, even small things like the size of a can can have such a massive impact on... Uh, how people buy beer, essentially. So do you all sit around a table like they do in Sons of Anarchy and sort of fight these things out? How are those decisions made? I think there's people who are fascinated by those kind of, you know, is it you just go and quietly say that to someone or is there a team meeting every Monday where everyone wears a suit and a tie or? You know, <laughs> I, very corporate. Very yeah, corporate. yeah, yeah. Very corporate. Um, yeah. I, when I'm going, when I'm out in trade, I'm wearing, you know, the quiet deeds t-shirt to convey that image of the You always wear a, a suit with me, but that's okay. <laughs> well, yeah, that's all, you know, um, no, I, I don't even remember how to tie a necktie. Um, we, Basically, because it is still a very small business, all these decisions are made, uh, a lot of these decisions are made just by someone picking picking up on something and mentioning it to someone else who's like, oh, yeah, shit, I never thought of that. Um, some of the decisions are uh, a lot more involved as far as, um, you know, uh, doing a lot more industry research. Some of them are just off the cuff. Fuck it, yeah, let's give that a shot and see how it goes. Worst case scenario, we do couple of runs in 375s and then move it back to 330s but um yeah certainly with decision a lot of the decisions are being a small business a big part of the fun of it is that we have flexibility to just try shit out and see how it works um there's a, a with the, along the same lines that 440 mil question um Gary, any, it was a question, but I might just turn it into a comment. It's kind of nice having a beer 
that's a little bit bigger, especially those limited releases and go going on a journey with it. So, you know, you start it, it comes out of your fridge, you have a couple of mouthfuls, you really like it, it's really interesting. And then as it kind of warms up and you kind of drink it over time, it's, it's, it's a, I think it's a nicer experience mm. when it comes to... It's an to, experience. Yeah. yeah. It's an experience. It's an experience. Yeah. Like you're, you're not just having a drink, you're not just having a, a limited edition drink. You're kind of just sitting there with it for a while and kind of tasting your way through it. And I think that's a really, I think that's a pretty cool... That's a really cool little thing. Um, so, well, we have moved on quite a way. Uh, I was going to ask another, well, as much as we love marketing and, and can questions, we also love, uh, love um, merchandise questions. Uh, and, and Damien Petty has asked, uh, glassware, have you guys got any plans for glassware? Because there's a lot of people taking photos of their beer and posting it on the socials. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we want Deeds glassware. We do, we do have plans and, and we will, we will, I promise, I promise. We will be making your, we will be making your hypey glass. We will Excellent. make it, we will, we will make limited runs of glass where there's only a hundred <laughs> and then good luck, good luck. But uh, yeah, no, the, um, the intention is to make glass, yes. So it's still, it's still on the cards, but everything's been so busy now with the tap room being approved, the works working there. And um, with everything, uh, you know, us focusing on, in the brewing area and, you know, what we've been doing there, it's just been, it's been a bit hectic. So, yeah. Well, can um, you talk but, to that a bit? I mean, is, because I think it's, it's quite amazing the journey you guys must have been on in the last sort of year or two, mm. where you've gone from being one of Melbourne's breweries to being maybe the Melbourne brewery. <clears throat> Take it easy. Take it easy. Wouldn't go that far. Wouldn't go that far. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. Humble, I'm happy to. Humble pie. Humble pie. The beautiful thing about doing these interviews during lockdown is that if anyone disagrees, they're not allowed to come out and find me wherever I might be on the streets. Yeah. So, it's all um, mute on Zoom. You control everything, man. You're like the government. This is amazing. And, and I live near a police station. I can just say someone's breaking curfew now if they come around <laughs> and try yes. to find me. But seriously, I mean, what's it like to sort of be working in the environment where, you know, we, there's Moondog doing their thing, there's you guys doing your thing. There's not many breweries that are sort of evolved so massively in the last 12 or 18 months. What's it like to be amongst that? Oh, it's great. You know, like Ned mentioned before and Kimar, like the Pat and Dave are amazing owners. They're, they are, they they give you enough rope to hang yourself, I guess. So they're, uh, they're really good in that way and they're incredibly supportive. And we've got a great sales team and a great production team and a great warehousing team. Like all the, the people that are there are just, you look at them and they're like, they're perfect for that role. And it's just, uh, it's been a wild ride, I'll be honest. You know, um, it was, uh, we always had a lot of ideas and what we wanted to do. And I can look back through the time and there's a couple pivotal points where we knew things were, I guess, changing or looking a little bit different than they were um, in terms of the history of what's happened. Um, because, you know, if you go back a year and a half, you know, maybe you remember Nuke Point or maybe you don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely <laughs> and, uh, right. You know, uh, the, 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 the road to, to what's happened now has been bumpy and unexpected. And I think if I went back two years to when we were chipping bricks or spotting tanks or 
doing a commissioning brew of a saison on the system and through packaging, you know, I would not think that we would be, you know, doing the kind of beers and the amount of the kind of beers that we're doing today. So it's just been a, a, a big, you know, um, it's been a, you know, it's just been a blessing. It's been awesome. And they've been really supportive of us and we make, we want to make beers that we want to drink. And we found a niche where we thought that we should make beers, you know, that are incredibly flavorful, a little bit high end. You, you know, you forego extract and you go with real fruit and you, you, you put the hops in there to get them to burst from the can. And we were just absolutely thrilled to see that there was a, a, a consumer base for that. There was a niche market. There was a, a market out there that wanted that type of product because it's what we wanted. So we thought there would be, but we didn't know for sure because in many breweries where you work, it's about trying to get the lowest cost down and etch by on that little margin that you can on your, your, your core range, which everybody has to do. And I understand that, but you know, it's also a different thing where a lot of breweries, they make one double IPA a year as their annual release or a triple IPA. And, you know, we, we wanted to push beyond that in terms of, well, I probably want to drink a double IPA more often than one time a year. So there you go. So we're going to just do that. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been quite a journey. So yeah, absolutely. Justin, we had a question in our, our Zoom room. What, what beer was the turning point for Deeds? Like, was there a, is there something that sticks in your mind where you just go, that is the, you know, that's where it all, st- all sort of started and we became Deeds Brewing? If I can uh, just like interject here. Go for it. Because um, yeah. it's, uh, certainly when, when I started with Deeds, we did the Pale, we did the Session Ale, we did the British Style IPA. And then seasonally, we had the Lemington, the Vanilla Porter and the White IPA. And that was Deeds Beers or Quiet Deeds Beers at the time. Um, and then just before, like literally the, I think it was the 24th or the 23rd of December, 2017, we brought out juice train. Um, and the first batch of it had pre-sold out, uh, which was a bit of a shock because historically that had only happened with founders stuff that we were importing at the time. Um, and then it was meant to be a one-off, a summer one-off. Um, and then people yeah it it sold out before we had a chance to properly sell it and so christmas happened and and uh people kept demanding more of it so we're like i mean okay it's it it was meant to be a seasonal uh we were just going to do one of it um and then it got to a point where it was almost outselling session ale which was designed to be sold by the slab and this was a product that was designed to be sold like at most by the four pack uh, usually people were buying it in single cans and it was almost outselling, uh, you know, a session ale, which was a beer that was designed with like, you know, selling a lot to the Australian market in mind. Um, so I think that, that certainly planted the seeds. Uh, and then since then, I'd say we've probably had a few other turning points that the brewers could, can probably talk to as far as uh, how, just how far this will go. But I'd say that was definitely the first beer that we brewed that, planted the seeds of the idea that you can brew very good beer that maybe costs a little bit more. That's, that's something else that's maybe not necessarily what is already selling very well in the market. And it can actually do quite well if it's delicious. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, for me, I think um, 
I guess the, another, the, the next, you know, I guess I would say the next pivotal point would be, especially in the 440 realm, was this period of time where be due to a scheduling snafu or whatever you want to call it, we ended up having two double IPAs in can at the same time, Fortune and Glory and The Traveler, a Carwin collaboration um, last year. And, you know, there was meetings, there was meetings with management about this. Like we've got over 400 cases, two double IPAs at the same time. I, it's just, maybe we've made a, a critical error in terms of beers, trying to get them out quickly. We don't know if we even have a big enough market to sell that to, who knows? And then the decision was made, like, let's just move forward and see what happens. And what happened was amazing. And now, I mean, look what the beers are in front of you now, you know, there's three right there in a row. And um, yeah. that was a, that was kind of a, uh, for me as, you know, at Deeds and Ned may have another one to add to it. But I think for me, that was a moment where I was like, there is a market for this. And I think that we could do it again. And I just look forward to having, you know, I just, I'm trying to keep my fridge at home full. This is what I'm trying to do here, guys. And that's, it's a simple thing. And luckily, luckily, because of, because of what we're doing, my fridge is always full and it's just great. It's just great. But uh, yeah, that was a, that was a big moment for me in terms of seeing that, okay, this isn't a problem now. Like people are excited about the beers. We're excited about the beer. So maybe, maybe this limited thing, maybe we can really have a play and do some bigger, more exciting things while continuing to grow the core range. That was my thought. Yeah, look, I'll just just add a few words on the back of that. Um, we definitely spoke a lot um, about, like in the early days, about what we could do and what we planned um, on releasing. And, uh, it, you know, we didn't realise... We, we had confidence that... Um, that there were less limitations than we'd seen previously, but we didn't know just how quickly we would realize the sky was the limit. Um, and I don't think that Kuma and Adam at the time and Pat and Dave, I don't think they realized that either. No. And it goes back to that um, double can release of Fortune and Glory and the Traveler and, you know, being worried that, the idea of selling 400 cases of double IPA was um, pretty scary. And Terrifying. Heard of. Yeah. yeah. The, we but, were looking at the pricing and the, the I still remember Pat and Dave saying, oh, this is the last time we're going to do this because they were talking about how expensive it was to generate new art for the, for the beers and to get the labels printed in such a small run, um, uh, yeah. like how expensive the production of the beers were. And then, we saw the response on the beers and that, I think that was literally the last time we ever heard any mention about the cost of labels. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah. We and sent was, the accountants home. <laughs> yeah. That was Can it. Can I ask a related question? Because uh, Kumar has very unreasonably said that he's the one responsible for me not getting fortune and glory last year. These things happen. That's no problem. But how much interaction is there between brewers and reps and in Kumar you've got one of the most amazing reps in Melbourne at the moment um 
how much do you get feedback from you, them? How much are you, you sucking up to make sure it doesn't happen again? <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you don't get shafted. You well, no, get... people need to go back and listen to the previous episode with Kumar <laughs> to learn about our history together, which is long. It predates uh, his time with uh, Deeds. But genuinely, how much feedback is there and how much... Uh, I mean, I, I'm fascinated again to know how those sort of conversations take place as to go, well, no one's buying this beer or what have you done to me? I've got to go and sell this beer or, you know, how, how would you oh. want to talk about this beer when it lands? Let me, let me tell you, if there's a problem out in trade, boy, do we hear about it right away. Oh. <laughs> That's the answer oh, I wanted. God. My God, one little yeast particle in a beer. We hear about it. Oh, and all the beers are hazy. No, no, look, I think that there's a pretty good relationship and there's a lot of back and forth about what's, what's going and what's not. And I think it's incredibly important to have that because, you know, we don't, <laughs> we're not allowed to leave the brewery too much. We're not allowed to leave. We're not, we don't get to interact much. And ever since this whole COVID business, I mean, I haven't had the chance to go down and stand at the bar at Carwin or wherever and ask how the beers are selling and what's tasting good on tap and, and do that whole thing. And so, you know, in terms of the market, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's talking to the guys and talking, you know, you know, at best, what, Instagram and Untapped, which are, you know, just wonderful places for feedback, I assure you. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful places for feedback, that social media. So, you know, I guess if we need to pick me up, we call the sales guys. Keep going, just keep going. It'll be okay. Um, at least that's my perspective, Kumar. I don't know if you... Yeah, no, I, I, look, absolutely. And I think, um, once again, a lot of the... Um, I remember a long time reading something about how, uh, you know, putting different departments near enough to each other for them to just like end up having lunch breaks and stuff where they're just chatting to each other resulted in insane results. And uh, that's very much the way that things kind of run at the moment where, uh, you know, I'll be in the brewery and just having a chat with the brewers and we'll mention something and, and be, uh, about how things have been going in trade or, or uh, you know, and then... Uh, they'll be like, oh shit, that's, and and I remember, oh yeah, that's right. The brewers aren't out in the bottle shops and the bars all the time because they're here brewing the amazing beer that I'm selling. Um, and so, uh, yeah, or potentially the brewers, you know, there's been a couple of times where the brewers have mentioned like something that they're thinking, I'm like, hell yeah, yes, 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 please do this because we'll sell the shit out of that. Um, or uh, alternatively, when we're looking at doing uh, slightly quote-unquote uh, less hype styles um there's like big discussions about the volumes of those beers that we'll do you know we still want to produce cool beers that aren't necessarily hype style beers but then it's about figuring out the right amount to brew to make sure that we're not sitting on uh you know like a, a, the doppelbock was the most recent one where generally people see a, a language on a beer can that it isn't english and they freak out and they don't buy it um so we so trying is, to... is hype style a phrase? I've never actually heard someone use that phrase before. If we make our first, you know, call room, you know, podcast t-shirt with I'm the hype style on it, is that oh, sort of God. where should be? <laughs> yeah. Or do I watch train. too much wrestling? Look what you did, Maybe we should turn that into a face mask, David. Oh, oh yeah. Keep it I up, Kumar. We'll make style. you sell a saison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep it up, Kumar. Yeah, that's that's the next one. <laughs> so, yeah, Kumar's um, like, oh, they just have to brew the right amount of it. 
the smallest amount of it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the smallest? In saying that, though, uh, so, like, the Festivus was um, was one that, I like, personally, I loved that bit of bits, and it had so many proponents out there for it. But a lot of the time, like, and such a great name as well, uh, a lot of time people saw um, uh, Bok on the title, on the can design, didn't know what it meant. It's like, true. Uh, so it took yeah. a, it took us a really long time to. That was one of our harder to sell limiteds, um, and so it was uh, certainly with a doppelbock. We were uh, certainly for me. I was like, uh, just just a little bit, please, but not too much. Yeah. Um, and now I've got a stack of people asking me for more of it, and so I think we also a big part of it was just where we were as a brewery and where we are now as a brewery. Where um, part of me thinks that there's quite a few people out there who just see that dazzle pattern and see the design and pick it up and don't even read what it is. They're just like, I don't recognize this one. I'll grab it and try it out now, uh, which is nuts because that is not where we were like this time a year and a half ago. So it's uh, not, not even 12 months ago. I think, nah. yeah, I'd be interested to know what, like what the discussions would be like hypothetically, if we said let's brew Festivus again, would it be, you know, two brews instead of one even, you know, when the, the first one sat around? Like we've, even at the start of this year, our forecasting was, um, you know, pretty kind of conservative and last minute on a lot of the limiteds, like very recently in the last month, everything's just getting pushed to a slightly bigger batch size. And I feel like that is... Um, probably going to become more consistently the case which is scary but also very exciting at the same time i think um, we're all just like so humbled by it because oh, it's, it's, it's literally it's absolutely mind-blowing such yeah. a small amount of time between when we were like oh new point like let's bring out this same day ipa the 30-day ipa and like it'll hit trade and then anything after 30 days we'll take it back do a different one. It might work now, god damn it. Yeah, it I'm sure now. it would. I was thinking about this the other day. I feel like we should revisit it, but um, logistically, it was baby. a nightmare. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm just going just just because we we need to keep things moving. Let's get let's move on to the next beer, uh, and we'll throw a few. There's a few questions from the room and other bits and pieces we can talk about while we while we cast while everyone slowly starts moving on to the next beer. What do we all think? Nope. Oh, I've got a nod from Travis. I think uh, I think David's just taking a break, so that's all cool. <laughs> um, so the the question is okay. When are you rebrewing the Traveller? When are you rebrewing the Cuba Warrior? Are you going to have a go at at at, uh, at the Hummingbird again? Like the, a lot of people want to know where uh, and that. Let alone the people who want you to brew a saison now, which is just which is just nuts. Um, but we think you're going to bring no, up not nuts. Excellent. <laughs> no, no, it's it's excellent for a brew, and they, I'm sure it would sell. But really. Uh, let's just get, let's let's start by getting back to the ones that you brewed before, and people are really are really hyped to see again. Um, what's right. at hand? Can you let us in on on some inside hum, hummingbird? Hummingbird, you'll see again this year. Awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, the traveller. Well, I mean, we already did that for a second time this year, didn't we? We did. Yeah. So oh, Ned. Sorry. 
every, oh, sorry, I forgot to mention a, a Quiet Deed is an XPO, just for anyone who's playing along at home. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I did, I did miss that one. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so what the Traveller, what, what were the other sort of... Oh, uh, well, Keyboard Warrior. Someone went to see Keyboard Warrior again. I was okay, going to say, so Keyboard I, Warrior's got to come back, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, next year, Keyboard yeah. Warrior will come back, for sure. Yeah. There's, this I year, guess, to, to answer your question broadly, rather than like picking mm, out specific... Yeah, the individual, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've, it was like, a lot just, to take on board. <laughs> yeah, there's a few, there's a few in there. And I guess like interpreting it more broadly, like when you're releasing so many different beers, you know, and you fill a calendar year with however many a month going into the next year, like, do you just brew them all again? Do you drop some? Like, so our thinking, you know, we've, we've looked ahead, Justin and I, to um, 2021 um, and we're sort of, you know, penciling, okay, we definitely want to brew this one again, definitely this one. We're picking favourites um, and, you know, dropping ones which maybe don't make the cut, mm-hmm. but not saying they wouldn't come into the fore again maybe the next year. Um, beers that we really love um, and that are quite special or have been received particularly well could be maybe twice a year. But at this stage, we're sort of looking at, you know, a minimum of four different releases per month outside of the core range. And when you tally up all of the stuff that we've done already this year and last year, you know, not you everything to, can make the cut. Not everything can make the cut because it's only keep you know, a new beer. Exactly. Yeah. And in, in our minds, we're still such a young, um, it's such a young reinvigoration of deeds. Um, and there's still so much more creative um, potential in the pipeline. Um, so because of everything that's come before, do you guys find it easier to come up with something new or to reinvent something? Do you go, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I can't pick what my favorite thing I want to redo is. So let's just come up with something completely different. Oh, look, I think, you know, um, for us, I think even though there's people out there that don't believe it, we do literally change the recipe every time. It's not the same IPA every time. We're trying to make it better just by playing around with high protein malts or changing ratios and things. And I know Water that people chemistry. joke. Yeah. Yeah. Water chemistry there's and so many combinations. Factors. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like for us, you know, there's definitely almost behind every single beer, there's something different, whether it's a process or, or, or uh, a, a malt used in the recipe that, that eventually either gets continued on or doesn't. So, you know, we might look at doing something back on the back in the cold, on the cold side in, you know, something, some kind of blend, or we might look at, you know, adding oat malt and then chit malt and then, you know, looking at that or rediscovering Centennial. So I think, you know, it's a constant evolution for us. And we haven't, we have in no way found like solid bases yet for everything because we're still having a play. So in that yeah. way, it's, it's still very experimental, right? I think it's always yeah. the move no, forward abs- thing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think in to- like, I guess a point to make from like a logistical and time and energy uh, input versus output standpoint 
um, doing different recipes every time for so many different beers is not easy. And it requires a lot of um, dedication to focusing on the end result, which in our minds is um, coming up with um, maybe say, let's say for example, we've got a hazy double IPA, 8%, eight and a half, something like that. Um, We might say, okay, we've got three or four base recipes for our hazy dipper. Okay. Now over time you go, all right, this is what's worked. This is what hasn't worked. And they're your base recipes that you work with. And so you no longer necessarily have to do recipe development in that space because already we've brewed so many of those and we're getting to a point where we can go, all right, so now all we need to do is just tweak little things or maybe try and showcase um, new amazing hop varieties. I saw someone mention the um, uh, Talos earlier. Yeah, great question. Yeah, yeah, Dan, Dan, yeah. Dan mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, that, of course we will try that out. I mean, that's <laughs> what, what do you know about it already? Do you know Talos? Because I don't. Very, no, I'll, I'll be honest. We, I, I don't know about you, Justin, but I know very little about it. But um, it was in it was in that Hawker's beer, the one they did with Bailbreaker. Oh, okay. A, yeah. It was in that. Oh. So it's kind of it's got a it's you know, it's got very fruity characters, um, you know, in it, like stone fruits and things like that, a bit of citrus. Yeah. Um and if, I don't know if you remember having that beer. It's been a long time ago. But uh yeah, it uh it definitely has some highlights to it that could be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um and you know, there's there's new hop varieties coming out all the time. I mean Strata and Idaho 7 are two that are just absolutely mind-blowing for us. We, yeah. we I'd probably prefer Strata just slightly more. Uh, Sabro seems to be out and about and has been for a long time now, but it's, um, that's, it's, it's the hop breeding programs are just never ending. And I believe that that, you know, just using that style of beer as an example, that's, you know, that's what you're there to showcase. Um, and as the brewery grows bigger and bigger, it's difficult to to be creating a unique recipe time and time again, um, especially when you want to be be known as consistent. Because whilst I feel we feel that uh, our beers have represented us well, um, the more that you change, um, the more that you kind of um, are leaving the margin for error to be a bit broader and that's not what yeah, we no, no pilot well, system <laughs> no no pilot system the 25 heck tanks that the doppelbock and the grisette and the czech pilsner the festivus all those beers that don't sell they're our pilot tanks that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole two and a half thousand liters of beer so um quality and consistency is is paramount above everything else and that's what we hope to achieve I think we hear a lot of people opening up their uh, their next beer for quiet deeds. So we might throw over to David, our uh, our all superior leader, that is going to. <laughs> uh, Trav, Trav, uh, I'll let you in. I I said I I mentioned uh, this is the inside stuff, and Ned's just gone away. Um, I said to David, look, uh, thanks, David. You you're doing a great job with this. We're ju- we're kind of the support crew, and David, being him, has just gone. No, this is a team effort. 
It's like, yeah, this is a team effort. We're the Bulls and he's Michael Jordan and we're scoring like five points a night and he's scoring 35. Like, it's just so, so well, yeah, David. There's, there's nothing like hearing something that as you open a can of an 11% beer. But let's, mm. let's, let's cut to the chase. <laughs> it's not about me right now. It's about the 11 Ned gets back. There's no I in team, Warren. <laughs> there's two in Martini, though. <laughs> um, there is an I in this uh, triple IPA, though. So, well, yeah. while, while we wait for Ned to come back, and this is a question that I think you guys might have touched on along the way, but um, last time you were on the podcast, Justin, we sort of had this conversation about how each of the beers is evolving. And I know this yeah. beer is the encapsulation of eight years of evolution. But before we taste this one, while we wait for Ned, who's plugging himself in, how does evolution affect beers like the Juice Train and the Double D, uh, Double Time and those sort of ones? You know, how, how do you feel that beer has changed under your guiding hand over the last year or two? Oh, I think that the, you know, the big thing for those beers is, I mean, like Kumar said, there was, an, uh, there was a shift in terms of the size of the can. And then from there, there's been an adjustment slowly over time because though we do brew the core range consistently and we, those are the most dialed in beers at the brewery, right? If you brew double time, multiple times on the brew deck, you're going to know what to mash in at and where, where to get to it, to, to get it to where it needs to be. And, you know, a what's lot the one of the trick other... for all those home brewers who are listening to us right now? What's the one thing that where's that key point in that, what, four or five day process where things might go a bit wrong, where you really have to be standing there ready to press the button at the right time? Oh, mate. So 66 degrees, that'll save you. That'll save you a lot at Mashin, I think. No, uh, I think for me, the most important thing, um, uh, you know, in a, on a homebrewing scale is probably uh, controlling your fermentation like pitching the right amount of yeast and also being able to temperature control your fermentation. Uh, when I started home brewing, it was in Singapore and um, I had to <laughs> it's a great literally place for temperature control. Yeah. Yeah. I, I put a plastic fermenter in a guest bedroom and turned on the air conditioning unit and closed the door and hoped that it would stay cool enough to make something that was drinkable. And I think that that is controlling fermentation is good. And I saw a comment as well. Did like cleanliness what was cleanliness the, what was the singapore the beer oh it was a disaster it was a disaster it's where i learned a long time ago that hops can cover up all your sins so you know it's fine <laughs> totally fine but you're not known um, for hoppy beers no no, no <laughs> oh hang on not at, all. not at all not at all um but not yeah, in those no, days think... you just brewed some shitty lager in your guest room right Mate, my mates really like the lager I brewed in my garage. So yeah, you know, I'm sure I'm, they I'm did. I'm gonna go pro. I'm gonna go pro. <laughs> it's gonna a, go that's pro. exactly what happened to me. Someone stitched me up and said, "Oh, you should do this as a career. That this tastes yeah. great." <laughs> no one ever said that to me. I home brewed for years. No one ever said that to me. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No matter how good the chicken beer I made was. Now let's move oh, on to the beer. Right, let's move on to the beer. Let's get in our hands. The the a quiet dude. Is this going to be the last one that has the name Quiet Deed on the can? That's the, you know, the unannounced first question. Or is Quiet Deed still a name that we're going to be going uh, with? So actually, you'll, uh, you'll see if you look at the Best Coast can that, that presumably most of you will have within arm's reach of you. Um, that is actually the last Quiet Deeds beer 
to my knowledge. Uh, that will be the very last one that features quiet deeds or dark deeds on it. Um, just because as uh, one of the, the small but, but significant changes that we made to the core range was that we dropped um, quiet deeds from uh, the being the main thing that you saw when you looked at the can because suddenly people were recognizing us not based off of the name but more based off of the branding and the brand elements uh, and it was occupying a hell of a lot of space yeah. so if you have a look you know if you're looking across the shelf and you want to figure out okay what is this beer you've got to get a real close on best coast to figure out oh that's best coast volume two um yeah so it also ended up a little bit confusing with the the um, quiet deeds and dark deeds the initial plan was to have like a um, different sub brands within the the deeds brewing like uh, sour deeds and yeah i'd always envisioned like a range of Saison. really uh really either cheap or funky as hell beers under dirty deeds um but uh, done cheap. I mean, sure. Yeah, yeah, that, right. You know, that's that's always going to be I know Cheap beers is not exactly what we associate with it. Uh, but, you know, David always yeah, we, had, we, had ditch that name. we had to ditch that name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so now it's it's gone to a more uh, much more easy to understand uh, layout and and branding perspective, and hopefully, eventually, someday people will just be like, "Oh yeah, Deeds Brewing." Instead of uh, me having to speak to a new bottle shop and be like, oh, Kumar from Deeds Brewing, uh, Deeds Brewing, uh, Quiet Deeds. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know mm. Quiet Deeds. And me trying to figure out who I've got a tag in social media, which seems to change each week. Right, let's go on to this amazing birthday beer. Eight different hops. Can you, uh, Justin, are you the man to ask? What does each of them bring to the party that's happening in our mouths at the moment? Yeah, uh, I can I can do that. I just want to say one thing on the last comment real quickly, though, that the nice thing about A Quiet Deed is, is it's a way to keep that original name alive because we will release A Quiet Deed every year and it'll be different and it'll always be a culmination of what we've learned and experimented with the year before. So it's A Quiet a Deed answer. next year could be a barrel-aged stout, it could be a saison. It could be one of our 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 mixed mixed culture sour beers that you'll be seeing. Well, well answer in the question next few three months. for this segment yeah. rather than question two, as it's sent through. So, what have you learned personally? What's what's been the journey for you in the last year? Uh, a quiet deed for us. I mean, well, I mean, you know, it's related to the hops as well. I mean, when we looked at eight years, you know, that the the company's been around, and we wanted to make a beer a ridiculous beer to pair with Pavlova, another ridiculous beer. I mean, uh, we, you know, obviously the sour IPA program has, has, has been, has just started. It's just starting and we're very excited and hopeful what that's going to turn into. And, you know, Ned's really been lead, leading the advances on that. And it's just an amazing project and a quiet deed for us is like, uh, it, it, for us, it's, it, it literally is a, a a culmination of pushing the limit, not only on ABV and trying to limit how much of that booze that you taste, uh, you know, kind of like we try to make beers that come out very flavorful with hops, but you know, a little bit of booze to remind you that you are drinking an 11% beer. We wouldn't want you to forget that. And, you know, um, on top of that, you know, the idea of massive amounts of oat malt, looking at adding, um, you know, uh, a lot of our favorite hops that we've got to play with through the year and what we've enjoyed 
And then also, you know, taking the dry hop to the limit, 45 grams a liter. We can never touch the – you get too close to the sun and you burn your wings if you go to fiscal damage. So we had to bring it back five grams just for that. Um, but uh, I think for me, it's just of all the different things we've done, whether it be with lactose, whether it be with vanilla, whether it be with the, you know, the, what Ned was talking about in terms of what's happening with our malt bill. And as we narrow in on what that might look like in the future, that, all those things kind of came together. And we talked about a beer that was going to be the, you know, of what we've learned. It has to be a hazy triple IPA, right? I mean, we've done three or four of them this year. And, um, you know, we're extremely excited about the opportunity to do that again. And, yeah, I'm excited to see what it, it could be next year because at this point in time, I have no idea what we might learn or what direction we might take those things from. So, Ned, do you want to throw in anything? Um, yeah, look, I I kind of agree with you. I think that the, um, the quiet deed is um, – it's an exciting way to pay homage to the, the roots of the, the brand um, and um, embrace our um, vision for the future. And like, I feel like I say to you, Justin, almost every other week, the sky's the limit. So um, it's important to stay grounded um, and yeah. And just check in and, 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 and respect, you know, where the brand's been and, and where it's come from and also the industry and respect the industry um, because obviously it's changing very quickly. Um, and I think it's important to do it kind of organically and, uh, yeah, just just check in with that. Um, but, the yeah, the beer in particular is, I mean, like, yeah, it's ridiculous. But I feel I feel like um, it, this is our highest ABV uh, IPA of, to date, um, and I feel like we've honed in on on that, um, creating that sort of higher ABV beer, um, and whilst maintaining that balance. So uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what else to say. I did see a question about um, the pavlova before, which I just quickly would like to touch on. Oh, yeah. Someone said something about the um, the lactose, if that's meant to be like a big component of the beer. So, um, like conceptually, when I was thinking about the pavlova um, and the hummingbird for that matter, like, you know, cake, right? Like pavlova, the components of that cake, you got the meringue. Okay, so meringues like quite smooth and creamy um it's you know to achieve that you could use um like the base of a hazy um a lot of oats like a really creamy kind of english strain which which is our house yeast um and then lactose and vanilla um that can very easily create sort of ice cream um uh cake cream that that kind of thing and then you know pavlova will often have fruit on top and you know it's it depending on what family you've grown up with you've probably got your own fruit combination and maybe some like chocolate or something as well um but uh mango and passion fruit is something that i've been familiar with so 
you know, the, combining that creamy and sweet vanilla with um, like an acidity and aroma of the fruit that you get on top of the pav, that's kind of conceptually where that came from. Yeah. Now, I think we're going to move very soon into the point where we get uh, questions from people in the room. We're going to start to unmute some people. But um, by golly, we've got a couple of questions to get through first. So um, a, a few uh, listeners' questions. Ben Moffat asked one about the uh, the hopping uh, 440, uh, 45 grams. This one. We've dealt with that one. But the 200 grams a litre for the fruit addition in the pavlova, is that the highest sort of adjunct or fruit sort of bill you put into a, a beer so far? No, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure milk bar is higher than that. Yeah, I think milk bar is probably closer to 250. Yeah, so no, no, it's not. And then obviously physical damage is at 50 grams a litre. So uh, quiet deed is uh, just under that. Yes. Yep. Um, in terms of really hard hitting questions, and I don't know if you saw this on Facebook during the week, it's a question that, look, I don't want to get too personal, but it's been asked and we've been asked to ask it. So I'm happy to do so. Um, Brad Healy asked a question. It's, um, um, are we going to talk about vanilla slice? Is that it? No, no, it's, it's a it's, way it's, harder. Uh, we'll get to that, Kumar. One. We're going to ask Kumar the vanilla slice question, but I've got to sort of put that in some context. Um, Brad, thank you for contributing this question during the week. I think it was Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, I feel like everyone needs to just prepare themselves. Yeah, no, I think so. A couple of deep breaths. This is going to be the moment that the, this and podcast... I, yeah. And I cut and paste it. I saw this on the brief. I saw yeah, it. that's right. I, I, cut and paste, I cut and paste. I'm not sure which of you is going to field this question. So if I, I, I click, the, if I I click on the, the red cool button, that just like yeah. ends it, right? Red Healy <laughs> asked. And we love, we love the fact that he's actually taken the time and effort. I don't know, Brad, if you're on with us tonight. Um, we love the fact you've taken the time to write this, type this question and press enter to get it to us. Um, if you're halfway through pouring a beer, what do you do if you suddenly get the poos? <laughs> I thought we weren't going to ask that question. I, yeah, I thought, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, this is the real discussion that look, people need look, to hear about. For me, that's just a case of like, you, you need to prioritise, you need to prioritise quickly. Yes. Good answer. I'm going to keep things moving along really quickly, but you can't say that I don't ask the questions that are sent through. Um, Ned, you're the only person I think who has not had to ask, answer the traditional cool room question. Uh, Justin and Kuma have done that on previous episodes. Tried the traditional cool room question is, what's the most amusing or strange or funny thing you've ever seen in a cool room, whether it's at deeds or venues you've worked in, Tell us those sort of behind-the-scenes stories that people tune in to listen to. In the cool room, like like li like literally in the in the room where there's refrigeration to keep things cool. No, mate, it could be in a pet shop. We just give us a give us a story that we want to hear. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope this doesn't disappoint you, but I'm going to take the question as literally as possible. Good. Good. You're um, the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That's me breaking uh, breaking new boundaries by being ordinary. Um, the I would at a previous brewery I worked at, we had a um, 
like a shipping container, which we had a refrigeration unit in. Um, that's where we keep all our hops and whatnot. Um, and we got a whole load of raspberries um, to put into a beer. And um, they were frozen raspberries. So this is a refrigerated cooling unit. They were put in there and the beer just wasn't quite ready yet. And they were slowly defrosting. And then really only like maybe one or two people knew about the delivery and what it was actually happening, you know, busy production brewery and whatnot. But out the front of the shipping container is like the walkway where everyone walks from the office into the brewery and blah, blah, blah. And then like one morning there's just like this red ooze that starts coming out of the door and slowly over the period of like of the night had formed like a pool in front of the shipping container. So it looked <laughs> very much like a scene from Dexter or something where someone had just been cut up and, and left to bleed out in the shipping container. And seeing that at six o'clock in the morning, like is pretty, you know, it takes you a while to sort of adjust to what is actually happening. So um, that really freaked me out. Yeah, there you go. Who had to clean it up? Uh, probably some packaging casual. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy. Take it easy. Hey, but I think that's the first time we've had a answer to that question that's resembled a murder scene. No, no, it's oh, not. Yeah. It's actually, we've referenced that same murder scene in previous episodes, <laughs> but that's a great reason for people who are still listening to go back and check out the archives and just find out exactly how other people describe that same situation. Didn't um, that happen? Didn't we have that exam ex exact same thing last week? Didn't someone, apart from the, the boot full of beer, didn't this, we also have a, oh, see, so I, I get, con I get confused between the murder scenes and the explosions. So many murder scenes. Mine was scenes. the shark. I so had the shark. Many oh, murder yes. scenes. Um, I'm going to ask one more question before we hand over to the Zoom room. Is it the uh, let, we've got vanilla slice? Are you asking the vanilla slice question? I'm asking the vanilla slice question because yes. genuinely the vanilla slice question is uh, for people who are listening on the podcast rather, in the, rather than in the Zoom room. There's been a lot of chitter-chatter about that, and that's entirely what we're here to do. Um, so, Kumark, I might ask you this one. The vanilla slice question. I've got to say, vanilla slices are not something I want to eat or drink. So this is just not my thing. But there's a bit of controversy in the room tonight about is the vanilla slice beer doing what it says on the label? Um, so, yeah, um, I think... Uh, so my partner... She was telling me a story recently about how when she was growing up, her dad would always come back from the bakery with a vanilla slice and be like, oh, I got you a vanilla slice. She's like, Dad, you know I hate vanilla slice. Yeah, like, I like oh, Lemington's. I yeah, I guess, why... so. I guess I'll eat it myself. Um, so I think, I think one of the things that is super important to remember with beer, and especially as beer gets more and more or further and further away from what our dads would have thought that beer is, I think one of the things that's super important is to remember that just because something doesn't necessarily hit all of the notes that you personally wanted to hit, it doesn't mean it's a bad beer. And to that effect, uh, so with the vanilla slice, it was extremely polarizing. It, it seemed like everyone fell on either the, I cannot stand this beer or I cannot get enough of this beer. And no one sort of fell in the middle. And so... <laughs> 
uh, Pat, um, he, he was telling us when we were talking about the feedback that within five minutes, the Deeds Facebook page got a message from someone saying, I can't believe that you guys have brewed this. Uh, it's my first sync core in a long time. You know, what the hell were you thinking? And then literally five minutes later, a message from someone saying, this is the best beer I've ever drunk. Please, please, please brew this beer again. And I think it, it's just a stark reminder that uh, while it's very, very easy to end up in kind of like a craft beer bubble where you, uh, and, and I've been guilty of it myself, where, uh, where I uh, sort of lose sight of my technical knowledge and perhaps get a bit ahead of myself with the, just the sheer number of beers that I've drunk um, and uh, start thinking that I'm an expert and then I speak to the brewers for like 10 seconds. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I don't know anything about beer. Uh, it's just pretty much just what people have told me. And I think it's really, really important for everyone to remember that at the end of the day, if you don't like a beer, that sucks, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad beer. Uh, and chances are pretty good that your yuck is someone else's yum. And to remember that uh, it's a lot, it can always be a lot better to say, this beer just didn't hit the mark for me, as opposed to saying, this beer is a bad beer, empirically. Um, and I think that's something that the beer culture in general in Australia could do uh, could do a lot to just, just keep that in mind. Uh, perhaps that, uh, yeah, there, there's not necessarily a bad beer. It's just not your beer. Um. I think that's really good. Very, very democratic. Can I make Can I make a comment about the noise flight? Yes, <laughs> one, come on. Just one comment, okay? So I wrote a blog about this. You can find this blog on our website. I don't think anybody reads it. I'm sorry for saying that, but I think it's I think it's true. Maybe some people read it. But noise flight was a, a big experiment for us. We did some things that we haven't really done before, and we wanted to see what happened. And Vanilla Slice became the testing ground for that. And I think it's very difficult for us because I think as we don't pilot batch much stuff and we continue to experiment and push the boundary, every once in a while there's going to be something that is polarizing. And it's so funny to see the reaction to that, that, that polarizing beer with um, you know, our wonderful customers, fans, distributors, wholesalers, retailers, everybody out there that supports us. And it's very, it's, it's tough because they have come to expect a certain, I don't wanna call it flavor or level of quality or what you wanna call it, but there's something behind what we've grown ourselves into that if we do experiment and make something that it's a bit different or perhaps a different tasting it can be um it can be interesting to watch what happens because of that because it's out of the norm it doesn't taste like something we normally do uh etc etc and i i think vanilla slice i think very much in the future we need to potentially if we're going to push the limit beyond what we do maybe we'll classify it as an innovation series or something like that so that people 
are aware in advance that, look, it's going to be a little different. And I think that Vanilla Slice is very much in that realm. That's all I wanted to say on Vanilla Slice, and we can call yeah. it there. I think it's I think it's just super important to remember that um, at the end of the day, if breweries always brew safe beers, then we never like if breweries always brew safe beers, then we don't end up with things, and we don't end up with uh, hazy triple sour hazy IPAs. You know, yeah. we if if breweries always brew the exact same beers, then like you have to push the boundaries, and if if you always brew the same beers, then that's not going to happen. And some people are going to love that, and same some people aren't. Um, so, I think yeah. Apart from just like chucking in big letters, big bold letters on the can, innovation series around the top. So people are like, okay, I know what to expect here. Like, uh, yeah, I think it's it's just important to remember that uh, yeah, everyone everyone like an asshole has an opinion. So I'd 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 be interested on the back of that to hear maybe even just in the chat what everyone thinks in regards to you know percentages of safe beers versus beers that you know they want to see breweries not even just us but um that they would buy on the shelf and and think oh that's that's an interesting idea maybe like you know, because if you see something that hasn't necessarily been tried a lot before, and sometimes there's a reason it hasn't been tried, like for instance, a curry beer, perhaps. Um, <laughs> you know, um, you might look at something and go, "That sounds crazy. I'm not going to buy that. It's going to be gross." But how do you know? If, like if sometimes, you're... maybe it maybe it'll be a new thing. You don't know. From from the point of view of a of a um, of let's say just your average punter, as long as as long as you know, I don't think I don't think you care too much. Like uh, like a wanky example would be Tuesdays at Attica is experimental Tuesdays. You don't know what the fuck they're gonna throw at you. It's not yeah. the Attica experience. It's not the top ten restaurant in the world rah, rah, rah experience but you know they're just going to throw crazy shit at you. And that's yeah. fine. I think as long as you know, and it doesn't need to be huge. It just needs to be like, oh, yeah, we're, we're just throwing some crazy shit. I think people are more understanding. And it also protects your, 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 the, the quality aspect that you, and the consistency you guys are trying to, trying to do. Mm. So I think that's the, the flip side. Yeah. Someone in our Zoom room said apparently there's been curry beers at Gabs over the years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think there have been too. That's, I'm pretty sure that they have. That does not surprise me. That's no, that that's actually what I was referencing. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm going to sort of do the the thing here where I go, Rodio, Corey, you've indicated you'd like to ask a question. So, Corey, are you out there with us in the Zoom room? We've got still uh, seventy or eighty yes, people here in the Zoom room with us, and. You've got a great question, and then we're going to go uh, to uh, uh, Johan, um, hopefully, and then if there's two more questions from the Zoom room, and then everyone else can sit around and have a yarn together in the space together. So fire away, Corey. Uh, yeah, I hope you can hear me okay. Um, I really like what Kumar said about um, that it's a different beer for different people. I didn't get a lot from Pale Blue Dark. 
Um, but I, but I still found it a very nice beer. It just wasn't quite what was on the tin. Um, something, something that I know with different palates and different people, I am quite susceptible to uh, beers tasting green. Um, I found the Pavlova a little bit green, to be honest. So I really want to know when you think, uh, for my, you know, susceptible to green tasting beers, um, when I should have my quiet deeds. It's, um, I tend to only buy one of these. And so I really listen to, you know, what other people are doing and when they actually have it. That's a great question, mate. Really I would, I would, um, no, that's an excellent question. And it's definitely something that, um, I've found that, uh, the craft beer drinkers are picking up more and more about, um, you know, beers that are so highly dry hopped. Yes. You want to drink them fresh and yes, you want to keep them cold, but are they best to drink the day of packaging or the day after packaging? It's kind of fun. No, I mean, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. We I mean, do. let me say tasting, tasting a beer, like a quiet deed, off the sample port on the outfeed of the centrifuge is not representative of what is in the can even tonight. And that was only, you know, last, uh, when was it? A few days ago, it's been yeah. a blur. But um, yeah, it's, I would probably for Pavlova, I would say that beer is probably going to hit its peak in two weeks. For uh, a quiet, for, um, I apologize. Shit. <laughs> but but that's only speculation because like i said that's a that's a new um it's a new realm for us and i found that the mango really played a big part in contributing to that green kind of character in that beer a bit astringent a little bit um like biting into a green mango that was a that was an issue that we had with that beer um but you know we we tried our best to process it in a way that would give the best um the best result in the final pack from you know what what we could the tools that we had um but as to a quiet deed it's a very big beer there's a lot of hops in there i'd say probably give it a week yeah um but also another sorry just another bit of advice maybe if 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 you enjoy it after a week Maybe go and see if you can get yourself another can and drink How it. How would we do that? Week after that. Yeah. So tell us where we can get another can of that. Well, and I don't know if you've buy, noticed. Buy two from the beginning. Buy two from the beginning. Yeah, it'll be look, right. that that's the obvious advice. But if you were to ask that question, obviously Kumar's got some funky background uh, of the quiet deed dazzle pattern. So I reckon you could probably answer that question, mate. Quiet yeah. deeds dazzle pattern. Come on, Kumar. Matter what? <laughs> That's what I'm calling what I, you to your face every time now. What have I missed here? Corey wants to know where he can buy another can of a quiet deed in two weeks. So. Oh, right. When you th- um, when when you guys think it should be drunk, which is actually the point. So Let's go my suggestion, yeah. Well, obviously, my suggestion is always as a sales rep, grab two at purchase. And then that way you can crack one straight. Oh, Kuma, you're a shit bloke. <laughs> that, uh, that is that is actually that is actually the the actual answer to that question. I think that's yeah. a perfect answer. To the question, one, that's a so. salesperson's answer. How much no, money do you guys person. have? I can't afford to buy two. 
that's the thing is it does make perfect sense but yeah i i can't afford to buy food and on that note um thumbs up for the gym too guys um <laughs> thank you but but yeah i i will generally only ever buy one um of these style of beers because i just can't stretch that far uh financially but also brain brain cells to be honest yeah and um, Absolutely. Kuma, how many Pokemon? How many? How many Pikachu's do you have? Like, <laughs> okay, before Kuma, we, now uh, is it Yokheim? Am I pronouncing it correctly? In my yeah, problem? you're I'm pronouncing not... it correctly. Uh, I, you have a... I was I was curious which beer is best uh, to have uh, when having a hangover, or after COVID these days. <laughs> quite deed, a quiet deed. It'll help your hangover almost immediately. Uh. Mm, straight away, absolutely, no doubt. Absolutely, it will get you right back where you need to be again. The um, hair of all the dogs. This seventy percent operational. Um, I can unequivocally say this. That. This one, this is the one you want. That'll fix all your problems. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like snake oil salesman. Like yeah. snake oil salesman. Yes, yes, <laughs> this one. Uh, maybe I, I should just try them all the next morning. I there you like go. I... You answered your own question. And buy two. And buy two. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> I feel like shower beers are about like, you know, quite deep in the shower. Now yeah. I'm gonna uh, ask Jillian if I can unmute her if my capacity does it. Um, so Jillian is a long-time curling uh, aficionado in Melbourne which very much ties into my love of lawn bowls. Gillian, you have a question for us? Yes, the lawn bowler on ice would like to know, given the conversation about best drinking date, why the cans don't come with a package date and a best drinking date marked on them. So um, I'm just gonna uh, steal a convo here for just a moment. Um, say a big part of the whole thing is that say we put two weeks as a like best drinking date on a can uh, and there's a bottle shop like a good bottle shop up in Queensland that the beer takes two weeks to get to and then you as a punter pick the can up and you look at it and you're like oh best drinking date it's already a week past or say you know, you come in like three weeks later and you look at that can, you're like, oh, it's already three weeks past. Uh, suddenly you're looking at and assuming like, well, I know that CUB puts like 12 months of, of like best before on their cans. So, uh, uh, Uma, uh, that, that doesn't answer the question about a canning date though. Like you could put we, a canning we, date on there. That's no, what so we, we put do, on our beer. Oh, do you? Yes, you do. It's on the bottom. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We put a packed on date and right, um, uh, yeah, because at the end of the day, in, in our minds, that is the most important thing. Right. Because at like for everyone makes their own minds up as far as what is an appropriate amount of time between a uh, canning date and drinking date. Uh, but if you know the canning date as opposed to the quote-unquote best before date, then you can make your most informed decision. If someone just puts a best before date on it, you don't really have context on whether that's three months, six months, 12 months, 24 months. Um, but if someone puts a canning date on it, then if you know what you're looking at, and hopefully everyone in this chat does, then they can make their own damn decisions as far as like, okay, well, I want to wait two weeks before drinking a new Deeds release or I want to drink it day of or 
like day after or I want to drink it two months after to see, you know, because for me, yeah. that's, that's how those tastes line up for me. Yeah, exactly. Da Damo just said package date is quantifiable. Best drinking date is subjective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. That is absolutely the best way to wrap that up because Good call, Tiger King. Yeah, yeah well done, Tiger King. Well done, props, Tiger King. Yeah, I think we have we have. David, do we have one more left. question? Yeah, yeah we, we have do. one more question left from Becky. Now, Becky, I think is very new to the uh, craft beer world, so we <laughs> must all be kind. And uh, Becky, are you with us here oh, in the hey, Zoom room? <laughs> hey, Becky. Well, Becky. Hello, hello. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so please, please share your question. Please, oh, Becky. Please. Waiting. Long, long time fan, first time listener. So, <laughs> first time listener, you've had your own beers on here before. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, now, um, I actually legitimately want to know the answer to this question because, um, you know, Justin and Ned and I go way back and I love those boys, but. I've never actually asked you this, and I'm sure everyone would like to know, what are the future plans to be? Like, what do you guys want to do, not just in the next year, but like, it, let's say you're still there in five years time, like the next five years, like what is like the goal? I'm done, bye. <laughs> five, five years, JC, where, where are you gonna be? What's I'm trying to convince Pat like? and Dave to buy Epstein's Island. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. Um, you need to clean it up first. Poor, poor yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Absolutely. Uh, I think uh, in terms of the, the plan, I don't know, Ned. I mean, for us, what? The plan is obviously to continue to push limits on the kind of beer that we do. And um, I think uh, the tap room coming online, that's going to be a big step for us. And you know, if things keep going well, we'd hope to see the expansion in the uh, brewery proper. Um, you know, the barrel program, uh, a love of both Ned and I, uh, is is slowly building steam that, mm. you know, I was surprised the other day when someone told me that they didn't realize we had a barrel program until uh, Frey came out. And I was like, really? Because I thought we talked about it a lot, but apparently we hadn't. But, yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't know if we have. That's like I think I um, it's it's been it's a secret project the whole time and I didn't know. Yeah, so. it's 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 interesting. Like when I reflect upon um, what we've done in the last couple of years, um, just in our piece of this larger eight-year-long puzzle of deeds or quiet deeds yeah. before now, um, you know, our part has been probably being recognised now in in the full forty mil format of mostly hazies, some pastry stouts, you know, maybe some pastry sours, you know, these beers that are um, being recognised. But in, in the in the back, we've also been putting in a lot of work into, um, into other things, um, just to kind of answer your question, Becky, like more long-term projects, um, beers that are maybe a bit more nuanced and... Um, uh, take take time to bring together um, with different ingredients and different beers and blending and these sorts of things. So um, we've been putting a lot of effort into um, developing a bourbon barrel aged and uh, future whiskey barrel aged imperial stout program. Woohoo! 
the point where we can have multiple recipes and different vintages and um, uh, types of adjuncts, um, types of barrels, different distilleries from where we source these barrels. So, you know, from that um, aspect, we have almost endless possibilities as to what we can create and the sort of flavours that we are looking forward to um, trying to create. Um, and, and once more into the phrase, sort of just our first start, you know, of that. And I hope you guys really enjoyed that because that was a big moment for us, you know, releasing our first barrel-aged beer. It was, it's really fun, even though it was only really small quantity, but I can promise you it will, um, it will continue into the future. But, uh, yeah, my personal... The fruiting tanks are in. The fruiting yeah. tanks are in. We, today, we were, well, today, this week, we, we set up three new fruiting tanks, um, which will be dedicated solely to our mixed culture um, um, barrel-aged beer program. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've sort of been playing around with uh, mixed cultures at home for a few years, and, and um, we've used one of those to inoculate at least probably 5,000 litres of beer in barrel at the moment, a lot of which is ready to, to bring onto fruit or to blend and package or dry hop or blend back with some fresh saison and these sorts of things. So that's kind of, um, that's another facet of deeds, which I'm personally really passionate about and, and JC is as well, but uh, also really nervous about because of the fact <laughs> that we're so well known or are known now for hazy beers with a lot of hops and and sometimes fruit and lactose and vanilla and these things so i hope you guys will be you know passionate yep. about that kind of thing as well yeah, Ned, so. there's going to be some people who said that was a long rambling comment yeah i love it yeah it touches on a whole <laughs> lot of things and beauty is that right now we're, we're about to shut down the podcast version and there's still, I don't know, two or three hundred people. I'm Are we still counting. recording? Was yeah, that we're still recording. Yeah. We're yeah. about to stop God. recording. And I that's, thought, I that's thought almost the cut, point, which man. is, if you join us on a Thursday night, you can come in and talk to the brewers as long as they want to sit around. We've got <laughs> the biggest turnout we've ever had. You guys tonight have got more people in than Sierra Nevada did. And yeah. I think Justin, hopefully that means something to you. I think it means something to everyone. But yeah. Oh, man. So, Sierra Nevada dialed though. in for six hours on a Saturday afternoon, and you guys have outrated them. Well, <laughs> Sierra Nevada are one of the OGs. Take, take your hat absolutely. off them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Respect, yeah. respect to you guys for outrating them. Um, well, please, if you're a first-time listener and you've made it this far into the podcast, or the or the Zoom room for that matter, stick around and particularly be part of it if you're in the Zoom room. We'll all take three or four minutes just to recharge our glasses and change our hats and the things that one has to do. Make sure that you've logged on to our Shopify shop and you've got already the next three weeks worth of tasting packs. There's some very limited numbers in there because we're dealing with some New Zealand imports and stuff that we just can't get anything else of. And um, guys, we're going to stop recording and sit around and chat. And what, 80, 90 people are going to sit around and have a yarn together. 
awesome times. Thank you so much for the generosity of your times. The good people of Deeds on your eighth birthday. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for Absolutely. having me. Absolutely. Thanks, guys, for continuing to buy our beers. Yeah. Much love. Hey there, Cool Room listeners. We've got a little ad for you. No, we're not asking for money so that you can advertise quality mattresses, razors, or any of those other sort of things that seem to get advertised on podcasts. What we're looking for is other fun podcasts that would like to share a 30-second ad with our listeners, letting everyone know why they're so great, and in return, letting us share a 30-second ad for The Cool Room. We know that right now there's a whole lot of people who are looking for fun new podcasts to help them while away their isolation hours, so if you've got something to share, drop us a line via our Facebook or Instagram accounts. Right. Add over.